Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 27 of the Back Check. Brendan and Stefan here, as always. And there is a lot to talk about. We got familiar faces in new places. Some had a big impact. <laughs> Anthony Monta, who was the big trade that we talked about. Others were pretty quiet in their debuts, but, you know, we'll kick things off with something that you want to talk about, and we'll probably get heated now at the top of the show, which I like. It's a good way to spice things up to start. So, Stefan, first, how are you doing today? And second, get into your little Islander Lou Lamarillo spiel. I'm doing I'm doing great, Brendan. It's, it was a good day at work. So, how, how was your work day? Oh, uh, let's talk about something else, like hockey. All right. All right, let's talk about shaving. Because apparently we have an issue on the island with the way Lemarillo operates. And Barry Trot spoke today about about it, about it's a pride thing, you know, respect, whatever. If you agree or disagree with Trot, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Players come to the island now because they expect to win. If they have to shave their beard, they're going to do it because, one, that's how Lemarillo operates. And I haven't heard a player really go out against him. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen because who's going to challenge Lou Marillo? You're coming to the team. The last thing you want to do is start off by saying, hey, uh, I'm not shaving. So Palmieri comes over, shaves for the first time, he said, since college. Obviously a lie, but he's ecstatic. He's joining a team that's going to fight for a Stanley Cup rather than miss the playoffs. I just do not understand why it's being blown out of proportion. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know what show it was. I could care less. This woman talked about how this could be a legal issue moving forward. Because And this is why we don't have minorities in hockey, because guys like Lou Amarillo make their players shave and there's no personality. I'm sorry, that's just complete BS to me, because first off, it's not a legal issue. It's a private franchise, by the way. Let's just throw that out there. Number two, if a player for religious beliefs, um, any type of belief, says, listen, I'm not shaving. I guarantee Lou Lamarillo would not make that person shave. I don't think, you know, even you can guarantee it. If you, if Lamarillo said, someone came up to Lamarillo and said, because of my religion, whatever it is, I, I, this is not right. I, you know, I need to be, whatever it was. The Yankees made a player cut their dreadlocks. Okay. Why? But what was the, re- but I'm saying though, is there, because a it's not, that- it's the too long. Okay. Uh, it's but, just my whole point is it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no point in telling your players to have clean shaven things. Like, uh, you, you're looking at other, every other team in the National Hockey League as people with facial hair, long hair. Uh, I just don't get it. But to me, Lou has done this everywhere he's gone, right? This is not a new okay, thing. Okay, that's fine. But why? 
Like, it's what's a, the point? He says it, it's a sign, I think, of professionalism in under his eyes. He grew up where this was a thing. He, no, I'm, it's outdated. It just I doesn't make sense. It's outdated, but but you can agree it's outdated and whatever you want to do doesn't make sense. I don't get why it's becoming an issue right now because Palmieri lost his beautiful facial hair. No, because I, it's just being talked about because of him shaving. Like it, It's the same way it gets talked about now that Rugnit Odor signed with the Yankees and he had to lose his beard, right? Like They're just it becomes a question of why like there's no reason behind it at all. And you could say it's professionalism, but every other team's professional and they have beards. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why you tell me jumbo Joe is in a, he's one of the most talked about hockey players because of his beard. He's not a professional. He's the ultimate professional. He's been around for so long. So I can't really under like understand justifying it. And I, I understand he thinks it's professionalism. It's how he's operated. But the reason it's being talked about is because there really is no reasoning at all behind it, and the players should have free will to do what they want when it comes to their facial hair, haircuts, all that stuff. No, I agree with definitely. Players should be able to do what they want to do. But for right now, when you join the Islanders, Lou Amarillo is at the helm. He wants everybody shaved. He wants tattoos covered up for the most part. He wants this. That's how he runs. That's, that's ridiculous. But that's just the way it works, and his teams do well. So – I think the players are – it's easier to buy in. Let's say the Islanders weren't winning, right? Let's say they were a bottom team in the league. Then it's like, all right, whatever. But the things that Lula Marillo does when he joins a new team and puts in place, the Islanders under Lula Marillo and Barry Trotz have played more like a team than ever. Now, are we going to say that the hair cutting is attributing to that? No. But at the same time, it's universal. They're buying into what it is because really they are buying it. Is it a forced buy-in? Yeah, I guess it's a force because he's making them do it. But at the same time, I don't think Paul Murray said, oof, Let's say you had to, you know, let's say a player had to waive their no trade clause. I don't think that's the deciding factor in them coming to it. I don't think that's a factor at all that Palmieri had to join the Islanders and go. You never know. You never know. Exactly. But obviously, Palmieri is not going to announce on his his uh, interview that, yeah, you know, it's really tough to have to shave it, but I'll get over it. He was ecstatic. He joked about the razor. He said he hasn't shaved since college. I just don't. I understand why people have issues with it, but I don't think it has to be talked about to the extreme where it's a legal issue. It's not it's a not, it's issue. A, it's a civil issue if it's a religious thing, but I uh, that think, that's extreme. But do you think it's a reason why we don't see minorities in the sport? No, I mean he's the only one that does it. So there's 30 other teams they could play for, and there are starting to be more minorities. I mean, Keandre Miller just broke into this league. Pierre Edward uh, Olivier Joseph, I, I might have just swapped his name around, but he broke in with the Penguins too. I think we're starting to see it more and more. I uh, we talked about it with. Um, Tolik Bortz of Alternate, that the, the reason that hockey is perceived as a white man sport is not because there's race issues necessarily, but it's because of financial issues when it comes to playing the sport. I played it as a kid growing up. You played it as a kid growing up. Ice time alone for a season's a couple of grand. Forget the equipment that's a couple of grand. Forget travel tournaments, hotels, all that stuff. It's you have to be very fortunate to play. I feel fortunate that I was able to play. And if we could find a way to get hockey and make it more economical, uh, economic friendly to people of minorities that might not be able to afford the absorbent cost that it takes to play hockey right now, then you'll see a lot more diversity. Um, but that's really the main reason from my perspective. And I could be wrong. I'm not an expert, and I'm open to hearing other people what they believe is the reason. But to me, the one GM saying no facial hair, although I don't agree with it, is not the reason that there's uh, okay. disparity. I, again, completely agree. So you just made a good point. You don't agree with it. But do you respect that's the way he operates and that's the way he does things? 
if I was playing for him, I'd adhere to the rules because obviously it's his rules. He's the GM. But no, I don't respect it. So I, I'm someone that has tattoos. I I don't understand covering them I, up. I think he's been more lenient with that because more players nowadays have to, like back well, in the day. Austin you know, Matthews had leads the league in goals, and he has tattoos. Uh, they really are affecting his play. No, but I'm just saying. But like you said, you don't you don't respect it. But are you if you're an Islander fan and Lou comes to the club and makes them shape, are you no longer supporting your team and the way it runs? Like because no, of this? Beat? No, no. I mean. I, I think that the players should have the right to choose. I mean, listen, we, we play hockey, right? We've been around hockey a long time. The yeah. stashes, the beards, right? The flow, the long hair. That's a hockey player's thing, right? Yeah, we want to have the creativity when it comes to people's looks. I feel like the mullet is something. Look at the Minnesota high school hockey tournament. They yeah. have the, the hair award, right? Like that stuff that doesn't happen with the Islanders because of this clean shaven rule. So you kind of eliminate the personality in a sport where personality is already completely eliminated for the most part. Every time somebody gets interviewed, they talk about dumping and chasing. So I think that we have to encourage some personality as opposed to limit it, but he really is the last one to. Yeah, uh, exactly. He's the last one. And also he allows it in the playoffs. They grow the beards in the playoffs just during the regular season. It's, but that's kind of contradictory. The most important time of the year, it's allowed. And I get it's a tradition, but at the same time, if it's allowed then, why is it allowed now? No, I, again, I, <laughs> I, agree with, I agree with people being against it, but I think it is being blown way far out of proportion of how much it means. Either side, either you're for it and you think it's fine, great. No one cares. And if you're against it, it shouldn't. it's not playing a part in them winning and losing. And that's an argument for both sides to say why it should be there or shouldn't. But at the end of the day, I don't get why we keep talking about it as much because, again, I don't think it impacts the game as much. That's the way Lula Marilla operates. The team's winning. The players come over. They do it. You don't see them fight back. If they fight back in the locker room, whatever. Heard somebody say something about, you know, Hosang, maybe he went against it. Like, no, that's not the reason Hosang's not playing in the NHL. It's not, you know, it's not the reason players are on the Islanders or are not. So I did a poll just to see where the Islanders um, fan base has, has, you know, consensus. So out of 156 votes... 90% of them does not do not believe there's an issue with what Lamorello is doing in a la- and making players shave. That leaves 10% of people have an issue with it. So you can clearly see that the Islanders fan base doesn't really care. But outside, Why would they? It's not why, them. But why does anyone care? Because it's, just it's way- your free choice. I, we just talked. I just made numerous points as to why it's completely pointless. Yes. So that's why. It's just why do it? It's a power move. I mean, that that's really all it is. You can call it it's what he thinks is professional, but in the playoffs, that professionalism goes out the window. It's a crazy world we live in, Brendan. I don't make the rules. I'm just saying. And I just- 90% of the fans that said it doesn't bother them, right, if they have beards and tattoos and got told to cover it up and shave, it, it would start affecting them a little more. Would they do it because they want to play for the team? Sure. But if they had a choice and you can go to a team that you really like that didn't make you do it or a team that you really like that did, why would you go to a team that making you change your appearance? It's a valuable point, Brendan. I just think it does not need to be talked about nearly as much. Like, I just think it's like not – it's a pointless conversation because we don't play, so we have no say in it. The players aren't going to talk about it. And when Lula Myrtle is gone eventually, it's not going to be in place. But for now, in the middle of the season, there's no point in talking about it because the rule's not changing. And your opinion, our opinions don't matter. It's the players. And if the players right. re- if the players really had an issue with it and really thought it was going against them, they talked over management. And has that conversation happened? No idea. But right now, it doesn't matter what you think. It's not going to change. It's going to be the way it is until it's over. So we could argue back and forth. 
fan bases, the league can argue back and forth. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change. It's not. And one player I wish it would, uh, he would abide by it is Mika Zibanejad because I still think he needs a haircut. That thing is just growing out of control. But he did score a goal last night, a beautiful breakaway goal. Rangers went 3 nothing, And you actually FaceTimed me with about like three <laughs> minutes left in the game. And I thought you were calling me to say, oh, Igor Shosturkin's going to get a shutout. And I hung up. I said, don't say anything because I'm superstitious when it comes to that. And he got his shutout, his first in the NHL. Rangers take care of business again. Kids line looks good. I mean, they're 2016 and six now after starting off sub 500. And Money Puck, which is a great resource, if you are looking for some advanced stats, Money Puck is one site that you should be looking at. They give the Rangers a 19.6% chance to make the playoffs. The Bruins have a 77.6% chance. And I mean, odds are the Bruins will be that fourth seed and they will make it. But the Buffalo Sabres gave them a little bit of a scare yesterday. Rangers <laughs> still play them twice. Um, the Islanders now have a two-game set against them, which is huge for the Rangers. Every single Rangers fan is rooting for the Islanders over the next two games. There is a chance. I mean, the Rangers are 5-1-2 and two in their last eight. They're playing good hockey. We just watched them play the Islanders, who are a legitimate team, and they were in both games. I think that any Islanders fan that watched it said, this is a team that's good, right? They're playing some good hockey right now. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the playoff race shapes up, but... They, they, they always like to break our hearts, man. Yeah, but look at the standings right now. The Rangers have two games in hand. No, Bruins. Oh, excuse me. Bruins have two games in hand, and the Rangers are four points out. So let's say the Islanders take care of business, which if you're going by statistical data, the Islanders should take care of, of the Bruins. They're Right now they're 5-0 against them. And But the last game of the season, Brendan, I told you, is a makeup game. They play the Bruins after the season's already over. That really could decide if the if the Rangers do their job, and the Bruins struggle because they've been struggling. The Bruins did not look good yesterday against the Sabers. They just didn't. They don't. The Bruins do not look like the same Bruins team they've been over the last couple of years. And because they don't have their captain that they had, not saying that their new captain in Bergeron is not a good captain. I'm just saying they lost their captain in Char. Tuka Rask has been out. Their defense is not the same defense. Their offense has taken a hit. These aren't the big bad Bruins that won the Presidents Trophy last year. They're not. Yep. So they could struggle down the stretch to make it to the playoffs. And if the Rangers, all the Rangers could do is do what they can. They can't focus on the outside teams. Now they want the Islanders to dominate the Bruins, but the Rangers have to win. It doesn't matter if the Rangers don't get the job done. Correct. And by the Rangers winning, they're putting pressure on Boston. Yes, they have two games in hand, but Boston still has to win those two games. And uh, a thing that I look for, right, is if the Islanders say take two of them. They take both of these next two games against Boston and the Rangers find a way to go on a three game win streak against the devils. And hopefully the goal is to take all four, but if you win the next two as well, you're tied now with the Bruins, right? They still have those two games at hand, but now it's a lot different. Now there's a lot more pressure on them. And last night's loss to Buffalo came in a shootout Uh, win against Buffalo. I should say came in a shootout. And the thing that is important about that game is now the tiebreaker is regulation overtime wins. Boston only has 18. The Rangers have 19, so they have an edge right now in that category. So if it were to be tied at the end of the season and all holds true, the Rangers take that tiebreaker and have that final playoff spot. So this is a very big thing that the Rangers have to get two points, but they have to make sure they're getting them in regulation over time. They can't be winning games in the shootout like Boston did yesterday because that does hurt if you do wind up losing games down the road. Yeah, and if you look at the Bruins' schedule, it's not particularly in the Rangers' favor at all. They play the they play the Sabers another one two three five five times. They play the Devils two times. They do play the Rangers, and they play Pittsburgh, and then the Islanders and Caps end the season. 
But, I mean, Pittsburgh hasn't been great either, but Pittsburgh's been better than the Bruins. So you'd expect the Bruins to struggle against Pittsburgh. The problem is, what are they going to do against Buffalo? If they drop a game or two to Buffalo out of the remaining they have left. Well, they have to. They have to drop two, I would think, for the Rangers to have a legitimate chance. Or they have to lose the majority of their games against everybody else. And I think that when you look at their schedule, it doesn't favor the Rangers. But what the Rangers have to hope for is that the Islanders, Capitals, and Penguins stay locked in at the top, and they're still competing for playoff positioning come that final seven games or or week stretch, whatever it is there. Because if the Islanders have the chance at the one seed in that final game, they're going to play lights out to get it. right? If there's no chance at all and they're locked into their positioning, then your compete level drops a little bit. So the Rangers have to hope that the Penguins, Capitals, and Islanders, who still play the Bruins at least once in the remainder of the season, still have that compete level high and can take care of business there. So, you know, you started by talking about Tristurkin. He gets his first career NHL shutout. That's now two starts in a row for him. They go back. Does Quinn go back to him against the Devils again on Thursday? He better because I'm going to be in attendance. I'm not trying to see Georgiev or Kincaid. I want to see Shesterkin. I was at his first ever loss, okay? So I want to see a win now. I haven't seen a win at a Rangers game at MSG in over two years. I'm like, oh, for my last six. So I'm trying to get off the schneid here. I personally think that you cannot go to Georgiev after he gets his first shutout, right? I mean, this could go on. He could go on a confidence boost right now and just play out of his mind. And we've seen him go on runs in the past, but we've never seen him go on a run after getting a shutout. I feel like that might have had a mental weight on him. You could speak a little more as a goalie, but he was trying to, and he's had opportunities to get that first shutout, but it's been a weird goal or a bad goal that's gone in that's kept him from having it. So now that he has it and he's going to play with that confidence against the same opponent on Thursday night with an off night in between, I'd go right back to him. He's your number one. Any goalie off a shutout should be playing the next game unless it's a back-to-back. Because when you shut a team out, physically you look great. It depends how hard you have to work, obviously, and how many days are off. But getting your, you know, that's a hurdle that he finally got over in a, you know, his year probably in total game wise that he has at the NHL level. And to do that, again, we've talked about it weak goals, soft goals, bad bounces. That does take a mental toll on you when you try to close the door. Yes, he'll take wins at every single chance he gets. But showing that, showing to yourself, forget your team. Showing to yourself that you could actually do it. You got your first shutout. You are capable of shutting out an NHL team. Doesn't matter what team it is, an NHL caliber team. That's a major confidence booster. And for him to not play the next game, it's like I just accomplished something I've never accomplished in my career. I played lights out, 100% lights out, nothing allowed. I want to go back out there and prove I could do it again, especially against the same team. Yeah, and the thing that also leads me to believe that he'll be playing is the fact that he got a shutout now. But the game before that, the last time they played the Devils, he was he had like 40 saves. That was actually the game that he got injured in. And he was playing unreal. It was one of the best games he's played in the NHL, even though the Rangers were up like 5-1 at the time. He was the only reason that game was that lopsided. So that's two consecutive starts against the Devils, both of which he's played out of his mind. He's allowed one goal combined in the two games. He's probably had at least 65, close to 70 saves, I would think, of the games combined. So you put him back out there. He's got confidence right now against the Devils team, and he might be a little bit in their head because I guarantee you the players remember that first meeting more than they do the shutout now because that was in their head. He got hurt. He was robbing two-on-ones. He was making breakaway saves. And the MSG Networks posted a stat. He has seen 20 breakaways this season, and he stopped 18 of them. That's absurd. That is pretty dang good. I think it's the fewest breakaway goals for a starting goaltender allowed in the NHL this season. So he is on a a serious pace when it comes to that. And I'm telling you, if if he can minimize 
those weak goals where his movement takes him away from certain angles. You're talking about a goalie that's Andre Vasilevsky like, and it's the same thing with Sorokin, which is why when we watch these two uh, meeting uh, against each other, you go, wow, this is going to be some type of head scratcher for the next five to seven years. And I think the reason Shesterkin is so good on breakaways was evident last night. Miles Wood gets on a breakaway yesterday, and Shesterkin doesn't overthink. He doesn't move. He didn't move. If he moves, Wood goes, oh, look, an opening. But he didn't move. He did not, you know, he didn't try to guess where Wood was going to go. And he said, Wood, take the shot. I'm confident in my positioning. And while I think he was a little far back, it doesn't matter. He didn't move. He made the save right off the block. And watching on the, the TV, you couldn't tell if Wood missed the net. Or whatever happened. And that just goes to show how strong Shesterkin was to say, you know what? Test me. Go it, for it. I have you beat. It's a pressure thing. If he doesn't move, that's more pressure on the on the shooter because he's now going to have to hit his target. If you get the goalie to bite, now you have an opening, an open net. But Wood's going down there, and he doesn't move. He, he goes, oh, I just got to beat him with a better shot. And he couldn't. And I think that's why Shesterkin's been so good because he's not overthinking. He's letting the shooter overthink. Yeah, and it's crazy because his regular game is all about movement. Like, he slides everywhere. He loves to be agile and active, and it works. I mean, he doesn't give up goals on rebounds either, but sometimes he takes himself out of position with his crazy movement. And then on breakaways, it's the complete opposite. He's like a stone wall in there, and he just sits there, makes you make that first move, and reads it. So, uh, I mean, I just hope he can continue to get better, and if he does, it's going to be scary. And this brings about a a really interesting thing when you look at breakaways and shootouts. On a breakaway, the pressure is on the shooter because of the defense coming back and just the speed of the game. The goalie has like what Chesterkin does. The goalie's got the power because he knows that player's rushed. And for a split second, if he loses the puck, whatever it is, that, that play goes by the boards. In the shootout, the goalie's under pressure because the shooter has time. When you give the shooter time, like if Miles would had a breakaway from the red line, he might. I, I guarantee he deeks. He probably deeks his way and Chesterkin has to make a sprawling save, whatever the case may be. But if... In a shootout, when Wood's coming down, has a time and space to, okay, I have time to think. Wood on the breakaway yesterday didn't have time to think. When he realized he had to shoot it, he shot a blocker side. If he had more time, I guarantee he's making a move or he's probably taking a harder shot. But it's, just, it's interesting to see why goalies struggle in shootouts. But then in a reg, like Leonard, talked about all the time, he hates the yep. shootouts. But Shesterkin proved, I want to see, I'm curious to know what Shesterkin's numbers are in the shootout. I don't think they're that good. No, like, it, they're they're mediocre at best. and. That, he does struggle a little bit, but at the same time, he hasn't seen a lot of them, and I don't think he's really familiar. He's played 12 games last year, had a COVID break, and now he's playing. You know, He's probably played about 17 to 20 games this season, so he, he has to get used to these shooters in the shootouts, but he's definitely much better in game breakaways. It's the same thing with Chris Kreider, though. Chris Kreider is statistically one of the best breakaway shooters in-game in the league, and then he came in on a penalty shot the other day, and he had no idea what to do with the puck. It's just some guys need that pressure. You need that ability to not think. And when you have the shootout, everyone, the goalie and the shooter, there's a lot to think about. And sometimes too much time is an issue. You know, we see Barzal try to be too fancy with too much time. Whereas if you have the pressure from behind you, you got to make one quick move and stick with it. I feel like it's also, I think you compare taking a test, right? You got X, well, A, B, C, or D as an answer. And if you're timed, you have five minutes to take the test. You have 20 questions. You don't have time to rethink that question. It's either you know it or you don't. And let's say the answer is B. Like, all right, definitely B. Now you have – switch it. You have five questions, 20 minutes. You may overthink and change your answer and not get it right. I think it's that's a similar – I think it's a good analogy with uh, with this stuff. What a nerd, bro. 
I know, right? I, <laughs> I was one of those kids that if you give me more time, I'd probably change 20 of my answers and I would get them all wrong. And if I had stuck with my gut, I would have gotten them right. And I was the kid that would just go up and try to guess my way through to a 95. And it it worked the majority of the time. So school's a joke. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about some trade deadlines, though, right? I mean, we had those, the big two part special here. And we talked about all the moves that happened. And the last one that came in might have had the biggest impact on the first day with Anthony Monta having a goal and an assist. He absolutely sniped. Sniped. Uh, By the way, Elliot looked terrible uh, yeah but that's been the story but, all season so he's sniped though where he put that is probably coming across the rink on your dominant hand so across the crease or across the slot on your dominant hand and being able to put the puck in that location as the goalie slides is by far to me the hardest save to make i personally when i'm playing in a game that is the toughest save for me to make when i'm sliding over and you go back the other way because it gets the goalie off his angle just a bit and where he put that shot, I mean, that's why he was brought in there. He's a goal scorer, and that is a goal scorer's goal right there. I mean, he sniped him. <laughs> I don't – I mean, I also want to talk about Patrick Liney's goal because that was crazy oh, too, oh. coast to coast. But this goal was – is it was pretty nice. Not as nice as Liney's coast to coast goal, but Monta coming to a new team made his impact felt. And, I mean, I still think the Red Wings won that trade for the long haul. But, but we talked about this season for the Caps. It, that's a huge add to that line. And look who he's playing with. I know. When you talk about windows closing, we talk about with the Islanders because of Barzal's deal, you know, windows closing. Right now for the Caps, there are players, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Carlson. Yeah, I know he's not old, but those players, they're not getting any younger. And I think the Capitals can still be good when Ovechkin eventually retires, Backstrom eventually retires. But you're in win-now mode right now. You don't know how many more opportunities you'll have with Ovechkin dominating the way he dominates Baxter playing the way he plays all those guys. I have no problem with the caps giving it up. If they think it's a move that makes or breaks them. I think for the caps, you have questions on goaltending, which goal are you going to go with? Because as good as Samsonov has been since returning in his absence, you can't, you can't not talk about what Vanacek did. Yep. He was unreal. And to think that Anderson, Craig Anderson was going to be the goal. First off, Lundqvist backing up Samsonov didn't work out. You bring Craig Anderson and he barely plays because Vanacek was just that good. Talking about the Bruins and the Islanders. They have a back-to-back Thursday, Friday, but then they play the Flyers on Sunday. And the question becomes, all right, which goaltender are you starting? This is Varlamov's stats versus the Bruins this season. 5-0-0, 9.49 save percentage, 1.57 goals against average. He's played every game against the Bruins, has been electric. Sunday, the Islanders play the Flyers. You know who's dominated the Flyers? Ilya Strokin has dominated the Flyers. So what I think you do, it depends how you want to go about this. So I think you start Sorokin tomorrow night, Varlamov plays Friday, and then you go to Sorokin on Sunday. What I would do is I would play Sorokin, Varlamov, Sorokin. I think that Sorokin played well against the Rangers. I give him the first start. We all know Varlamov's numbers against Boston. So what I would do is if you do lose that first game, which I hope they don't, you go back to the guy who's dominated Boston, for the second of a back-to-back where your team might be a little more fatigued. So you give him that start, give him an extra day of rest, and then you go back to Sorokin, depending on how Varlamov plays against the team that he's dominated all season. So the one issue that you have with that is, I'm trying to see back the last time Varlamov played, and that was the 4-1 loss on Friday. So now you're going, last time Varlamov had a week off, he looked terrible. He battled. Either way, he's having a week or six days. 
No, I agree with you. I think it should be Sorokin, Varlamov, then Sorokin. I just, it's a tough decision because you don't want Varlamov just sitting on the bench. You want to get him back in there because, again, his last start against the Rangers wasn't really on him. The Rangers just outplayed the Islanders and it was, it was a bad look. But I, I do agree, though. Sorokin, Varlamov, Sorokin. At the same time, though, Sorokin's played the Flyers more. You want Varlamov to play the Flyers in case it comes up in the playoffs. Obviously, the Flyers probably won't make it. But at the same time, you never know. But just the dominancy Varlamov's had against the Bruins, I mean, I would if there was no back-to-back and there was a day off between those two stars, I would have zero problem playing both. He's still, doesn't matter how well Sorokin does, he's your number one. And I mean, at the end of the day, he is your number one goaltender. Sorokin's been great, but I, I mean, to me, Varlamov's the, the clear number one. I think so too, but it's not as clear as it was in the beginning of the season anymore. No, of course. Sorokin looks good. Sorokin's looked good. At the same time, though, we talk about when it comes to playoff time, what we happened last year. Grice was so bad during the regular season that it was an easy decision for – it wasn't super easy because Grice's dominance over Florida Panthers in the playoffs is, is known as an Islander fan. So he goes to Varlamov, but you know Grice wasn't good, but taking the playoff numbers. Sorokin's never played in the playoffs at the NHL level. Nerves get to you. I think Varlamov will start the playoffs, no question about it. But if Varlamov struggles, you have to have faith into putting Sorokin in there against any opponent. So you want to see how Sorokin does against the Bruins because let's say the Islanders finish at the top seed, the top seed in the division, and the Bruins finish as fourth, they're going to play the Bruins. So I think it comes down to you need Sorokin to play against this team to see what it's all about. Do you think the Islanders finish as the one seed? No. I don't either. I think it's going to be the two. I think it's going to come close. And it's going to come down to those last couple of games. I think it goes right down to the wire. I just look at you. Just look at the scheduling for the for the Islanders. It's not real easy. But then again, you look at the scheduling. And go, yeah, they're playing teams that are in the, but they've dominated the Bruins. So it's really hard to decipher. I think the Capitals find a way to finish ahead of them, and the Islanders come in second. Now the question is, who do they play? I would guess it would be Penguins. I think it's going to be Pittsburgh. The the only reason I don't think the Islanders make the postseason, and I'm not just saying this because oh they make the postseason. I mean, make finishes the one seed is because of how many times they play the Rangers left, and those games are too unpredictable. So you're talking about three more times. That's six more points up for grabs. The Rangers are going to be the more desperate team. They have to be. That's tough to take six points from them. It it might be tough to take four. Even Uh, we saw the Rangers take three out of four in. At Nassau, so now you got one more game at Nassau, then you switch back to the Garden. It's going to be a task that they have to overcome. And the Capitals are the Capitals. Capitals also have three more uh, regulation overtime wins than the Islanders do right now. So yeah. that, that will play a factor as well. And you look at the Bruins, see, you talk about desperation. The Bruins are in a playoff spot, but they're, they're close to the end. They're in the four spots. When they play the Islanders, they really got to keep winning or they're out. I'm not... I'm not worried about the Islanders falling out of a playoff spot. Right now they have eight points between them and the fourth place Bruins. So I'm not worried. It could, don't get me wrong. The Islanders have collapsed before. It could certainly happen again. But if I'm the Islanders, you can't let teams that are need to win just dominate pace of play. The Islanders have played very well against the Bruins this season. It's got to stay that way. You can't look at it and say, okay, just because the Bruins are desperate doesn't mean we take our foot off the gas pedal. You got to push back equally as hard, get off the strong starts, which is why the Islanders have to get back to playing consistent hockey for 60 minutes. That's not really something they've done all year. They've gotten away with blowing leads, coming back into games, dominating in third periods. 
But their struggles in the second period continue to happen. We saw it against the Rangers Sunday. They fell apart in the second period, and they really couldn't get back to their game until they got lucky in overtime. Barzal found Pulak for the game winner. But the Islanders have to find a way, to, especially with X amount of games remaining, not that many, to find a way to com- get as complete of a game as possible on the ice. Because, again, you go into the playoffs, you break down against teams that are very good at coming through, and you have a bad second, a bad third period, they will make it count. Yeah, they definitely will. And uh, it's just going to be a huge week coming up, man. It's huge what comes from the Islanders-Bruins series and what comes from the rest of this Rangers-Devils series. It's going to be a big indication of if the Rangers are actually contenders for that final postseason spot or they're not going to be able to get there. Because if the Islanders do take two and hold true to what they've done all season and the Rangers can continue to outplay the Devils, which they didn't do in the second period, but you could tell which team is the better team right now. And it's clearly the Rangers. So if they could continue to do that and all of a sudden you can come away after the next two games tied in points, I mean, that is a completely different outlook for a Rangers team that's young and is hungry for it and a Bruins team that seems to be very, very inconsistent when it comes to the level of play that they have. Yeah, I'm really – even with Taylor Hall's acquisition, and excuse me, Curtis Lazar's acquisition as well, and Riley, I just – I'm not nervous to play the Bruins if I'm I'm the Islanders. Uh, You're showing during the regular season what you could do. If I was the Islanders, I'd be more nervous to play the Rangers in the first round of the postseason if you were the one seed than the Bruins. I agree wholeheartedly. And I'm not really nervous to play any team because the Islanders have showed when they're on their game, especially in the playoffs, it's effective. The problem is getting to that game. You look at the Capitals, clearly a better offensive unit. Islanders have a better defense. We saw how bad the Caps defense can be when it's bad. We've never really seen the Islanders implode like they imploded. Usually it's a team issue, like a whole offensive defense, never just defense fell apart. It's the, you know, everything plays its part. We've seen... Boston fall apart defensively. We've seen Flyers fall apart defensively. We've seen the Rangers fall apart defensively. I feel like the Islanders, the Penguins as well, I feel like the Islanders have the best defense in this division. It's just a matter of when it comes down to playoff time, not having those two or three minutes where you fall apart and give up a couple of goals. It's never like six or seven goals. It's those two goals in, well, against, the again, the same thing Islanders-Rangers on Sunday. What was it, two minutes and 30-plus seconds? The Rangers scored two goals? Yeah, yeah. We, we saw a couple years ago in the playoffs against Carolina. I forgot what game it was. Islanders play great, minus two minutes where they allowed two goals and they lose that game and they eventually lose that series. It's those little things in the playoffs that absolutely kill you. You know, funny enough, there's three teams in this East Division who are in the top 10 in the NHL and goals against per game. The first is the Islanders at 2.31. Then you have the Bruins who are the seventh seed and they're uh, 260 or seventh ranking, I should say. And then the Rangers are two spots behind them at 262. So the two teams that, you know, are fighting for that four spot actually have the second and third best defenses in the league, which I don't, I never thought I would be saying that about the Rangers uh, second and third in the East. I said the league, but the ninth overall defense and goals against per game for the New York Rangers who are just getting younger on that blue line is pretty impressive what they've done collectively. So if they can do that in the postseason, if they were to get there, we know that they can score, right? I think that last year, was a fluke with what happened with Carolina series just because how much time they had off. And this is a streaky team and they were the hottest team in the NHL before the pause. So they're on a similar path right now where they started off and eh, didn't play great in the middle. And now there's 15 games left and all of a sudden they're points in seven of the last eight and they're trying to make that run. And if they can get in this year, there's no break. They're going to be just as hot in that first round as they were in the end of the season. And that's something that I think, 
is going to play a huge role in how much success they have in the first round if they were to get there. Do you think the Rangers learned anything from the play-in series last year? Yeah, I do. Not to, not to do that, obviously, again. But people said that they didn't want to be there. They didn't like the bubble. They didn't want to be there. They didn't seem like they cared to be there. Do you agree with that? I, I don't know. I, I, they seemed outmatched in the first round. That's fine. That's really on a, out of your control if you're unmatched. The team, I mean, they can, let's let's be honest. The Carolina Hurricanes were a much better team than the Rangers. No, they were. They were. Uh, the only reason that people had, and my, including myself, predicted the Rangers to eventually come out on top was because it was a five-game series, and the Rangers dominate them in the regular season. Yeah. Um, like And even that year, they still controlled the plays of play even when they were bad. So it, I think they were outmatched, and I think not that they didn't want to be there. It was just an uncomfortable circumstance for a lot of these young kids who have never done it before, and it, it wasn't the real feel, right? Now you're going to be going into a playoff series. You're going to be playing in an NHL arena. You're going to be playing in front of fans, even if it's a limited capacity. That's playoffs, right? 2,000 fans are going to be making noise in a playoff series. It's going to be more tense than it was – with aprons all over the NHL arena. So I, I think that this is a different atmosphere, but they were, they, it's not that they were disinterested. They got out, out coached, outclassed, and uh, they, they had a five on three. They scored one goal in that final game that they lost. That was the five on three goal outside of that. Nothing. And also, I mean, Lundqvist is a, a God. He did not look very good in the game that he got in. Um, no, I, I knew it was over. When yeah. He let in that first goal right away. The Shea hit. And then that, and you were like, yikes, that this is going to be a tough, tough sledding. And Lundqvist didn't play bad after that. And he played good in the no, second game, just, I thought. It's just once that weak goal goes in, it's like. Yeah, I mean, he rebounded. He made a couple of huge saves in that first game that even made it close. Yeah. And, and of course, Mark Stoll had to score a Shoray and the goal to give us hope with a minute left. And then after that, it was just kind of a debacle. But I don't think they're going to get swept out of the first round this year if they were to make it. Will they win? I don't know. I personally think that they will if they play the Capitals. I just oh, the Rangers those, against the Capitals. There's something about it. Those are always fun. Uh, to be quite frank, I don't think the Rangers are making the playoffs. They could do all I they don't want. Think so I don't think it's happening. Before we, uh, you know, finish this show, I want to talk about the. We started talking about it before the new players. Uh, excuse me, players in new in new places. And so I have a follow I started with. He's re-signed with the Kings, so I count that as like pressure off his back. Well, he picks up an assist on Monday. They lose 4-2 to Vegas. But Ayafalo talked about on Angel Network, you know, wanting to be part of the Kings and all that kind of stuff. For a player like that, it's cool to see him re-sign because for as bad as the Kings have been, he could easily have said, I don't want to be here. Just trade me because he'll probably go to a good team. He'll get he'll play big minutes and, you know, he could sign a contract wherever he wants in the offseason. But he wanted to stay. And you got to – that's a respect level there, especially for how the Kings organization is, is seen and how it's run. I mean – They've been bad for the last couple of years, but when you think of the Kings, you think of you know the cops. You think of, I know I hate to bring this up, the Martinez goal. You just think of a good organization, a well-run organization, and for him to want to stay and be a part of that, and then he gets an assist after signing a contract. I like that. One thing I do is that, is that why you brought this up? No, actually, I wasn't even bringing up Martinez, but I had to legally. Sorry, Brendan. Unreal. I'll throw tissues to this. I remember screen. what year that Cup final was. I can tell you that. Oh, I remember that too, like it was yesterday. And when I'm sad, I think of that. Anyway, Savar. <laughs> when I'm sad, it's because I'm thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some things in life where you get down on yourself and you have to remember good moments. And that was just, um, yeah, that was one of them. Anyway, moving on. So David Savard joins the Lightning. We talked about how every year the Lightning find a way to get the job done when they bring in players like this. Well, it wasn't a great debut for him. 
And again, plus minus, bad stuff and bad. Do not compare plus minuses to how good a player is. But I do want to point out that they lose seven to two, and he was a minus four. That's not how you want to start off your no. time with Tampa. And while that doesn't show his fault at all, at, you know, it's his fault completely. Him being a negative four is not good. It's not a good look, but at the same time, that's probably the least Tampa Bay Lightning performance the Lightning can ever oh. have. So you got to think they yeah. bounced back. He was also yeah. playing with Hedman. I, well, that's exactly my point. That's so, not dude, good. It's just crazy, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen again. If you're a betting man, you can bet on that not happening again. So I feel like this year, more so than the last two years, when the Lightning have lost, it's been bad. And anytime you take Vasilevsky out of goal, it's a downgrade. Was and he playing Mac- last night? No. No, he, yeah, there you go. It was McElhinney. And I think that Lightning play. I mean, it's a confidence thing completely. They talk about how, yeah, they have trust in McElhinney. Well, you're not going to say you don't have trust in your backup. He's not going to touch the rink. He's going to touch the rink. Excuse me. He's not going to touch between the creases unless it's warm-ups in the playoffs. But out of the 12 losses that the Lightning have on the season, six of those losses have came from three goals or more. And I didn't look at the stats of how many games McElhinney's played, how many games Vasilevsky has played. I guarantee there's a that it, there's a meaningful little stat there somewhere. But they've lost by three or more goals in six of the 12 losses. And I, I don't know if it's because the division is uh, much more competitive than we thought. So when they play team and they play bad, it's not like they're going against weaker team and losing by a goal or two. The teams when they play and they played really bad, they get taken advantage of. And Nashville's a hot team now. They've been hot and they stood pat at the deadline, but they're a team that's you know, we're, we might make, you know, we're in the playoffs. We could do this. And when they go and beat the Lightning the way they beat them yesterday, 7-2, to two, that's a boat of confidence right there. And Savard, again, not a great debut, but, you know, we'll let that slide because, like you said, that's probably as bad as Tampa's going to play. It is. I mean, it's undoubtedly as bad as they're going to play, and they'll be fine. But it makes you wonder, right, how important Vasilevsky is. Maybe he should be up for the Hart Trophy at some point in his career. I mean, they, they usually don't let goalies win it because they have the Vesna, but whenever you start their backup, they're getting shelled. And Vasilevsky comes in, and all of a sudden they're going on a run. So that's and, crazy, man. And if they didn't have a suitable backup they trusted, whatever the, it would never happen. But I can so see Vasilevsky playing. And if there was no back-to-backs, every single game. I could really see him as one of, those, one of the only goalies in the NHL that could handle that workload. I can't think of another goalie that can. I mean, the only thing I say to that is that's what Montreal did to carry Price, and look Fatigue. how fastly he deteriorated. So Correct, but you're, you also looking at, you're also looking at though the Canadians team in front of Carey Price during those times. While Vasilevsky's been here, though, the Lightning have been unreal. They've been I a mean, very good team. I mean, Lundqvist was starting 60 games a year in his prime, and it, they, it yeah, took a toll hard, on him a little bit. How hard did he have to work in every game he played? Uh, you watch Vasilevsky. Mean, it depends on the team. But you watch Vasilevsky for the most part while he's been behind the Lightning uh, defense and offense. It hasn't been too, too hard. And when he's had to work, he's been lights out. He's been electric. But you very rarely see him have a bad night and a really, really where he has to be absolutely unreal. You know what's crazy is that we talk about, especially on this show, how often the Rangers play like, you know, crap for lack of a better term in front of Shesterk and they're number one because of the faith they have. And it seems like it's the exact opposite with Tampa Bay. They play so much better in front of Vasilevsky than they do in front of their backups, which is weird because usually teams tighten up around the backup to try to limit chances. But with Vasilevsky, they don't, but they just play better with him. Well, look at Sorokin early in the year. The Islanders were terrible. They didn't get him any goal support, and they were terrible in their own zone. And when Varlamov was in, they were lights out. I think it's just a feel. 
You got to get used to playing a goalie the way he plays the puck, the way, by the way, you told me before the game against the honors that you don't watch a Sturkin playing the puck. And he didn't look good playing the puck for some points of that no, game. I said he does play the puck a ton and I do want him to. No. And I thought he didn't look great when he played the puck against the He Islanders. looked fine. They, he had two in the first period that were questionable, but he was making full ice sauce passes. Oh no. Yes. But the two mistakes, all I could think of was uh, Brendan. Brendan told me that, that he wants Sturkin uh, to play the puck. He, he will always play the puck. And one thing that he does with the puck that's not as noticeable, because when people think play the puck, they think him coming out of the net, is anytime there's a dumping around he the boards by it, he just takes it and scoops it one way without leaving his crease. And it just accelerates the breakout, which is huge for them. Momentum. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. really is. It's so big. So big. All right, to another guy in a new place, Riddich. Got his first start. Stopped 25 of 28, and he actually looked pretty good. He looked pretty good, and it's not a, none of the goals I watched were on him at all. He looked very strong. He made the saves he had to make, and I think if you limit the amount that he is going to play, I think he will be a better goaltender. I I'm think Cal- Tampa didn't go after him. That's the, well, they, they have no money. Where are they? How are they doing it? Is he more than Savard? Well, Savard's contract also went to San Jose, didn't it? Yeah, they couldn't have worked that out with San Jose for Riddish. I don't know. It would have definitely been a great choice. I. I just think they don't believe they need a backup. Well, they don't because come close. But you always do because you never know if an injury is going to happen. Yeah, I just think they have the utmost confidence that Vasilevsky is good to go. If I had Bishop as my starter and had no backup and said, oh, well, this guy could break any second and he's still not back. He should be back soon, though, at Sagan. Then, yeah, go out and get a guy like Rich. But, I mean, for Bishop, I don't want to get into him because I, I think his career is done. I think he's going to try to come back and it's just going to be one of those things that lingers and lingers. He's not going to be able to stay Look at Aaron Judge. Compare Bishop to Judge. They are so good when they actually play, but when they they don't play often enough, that it just it doesn't make sense at all. Uh, they're they're big for a big goalie to have hip issues. That's a this, problem. Yeah, and it's not like he's that old. And he's and I, good too. Like he, he's, he's really good. good. I know you always used to say how you just don't get how he's good. He's overrated, but his numbers every time he's healthy are phenomenal. I just it's one thing as me standing in five foot nine and wanting to be a big goalie. To me, a big goalie if I was like six one or six two. The problem when he's that big, the five holes exposed going down and up. I mean, it takes a toll on your body when you're that big. It's just it, look at look at Aaron Judge. He's always hurt because he's just a he's a big. He really probably shouldn't even playing sport. He's just a big human being. And sometimes, like, the goalie position, I feel like it just takes a toll. Like, being a catcher in baseball, you could be so good, but if you have to make sprawling saves all the time, which I feel like Bishop had to do because he just had an advantage because he was that big. He didn't have to cut off the angle as much. But at the same time, Bishop would always fall back because he's off balance. I think he's just too big. And yeah. it, it affects him. But he's good. 2.21 goals against that, I'm pretty sure he had last season. No, he was, he was dominant. But again, it was Kadobin's show. Going to the Taylor Hall and... Anders Bjork. They had a, it was a funny game yesterday. The way the way it all played out. So Taylor Hall in over. Oh, let's go right to overtime because that was the most exciting part. Taylor Hall is on an overtime and he looks really good. On a turnover in the Bruins zone. Oh, excuse me, a turnover in the Saber zone by the Bruins has an odd man rush going the other way. Oposo, my man Oposo, and Bjork are coming down the other way. Oh, Oposo jumped. Beautiful sauce pass to Bjork. He has a wide open cage after a beautiful deke. And I'm going, wow, the Sabres are about to win this because of him. Can't corral the puck. The puck goes by the boards. Hall gets the puck, gets tripped. 
and now the Bruins go on a uh, power play in overtime. They don't score. It has to go to a shootout. But oh, if that was the way it ended when Bjork scored the goal, that would have been hysterical. He made the perfect move. And as perfect. somebody that was watching it, praying the Bruins didn't get that second point, it yeah. just bounced. And then Hall took that puck the other way in the two-on-one. And yeah. he got stopped by uh, Tokarski. But the tripping penalty came at the end. Like There, there was yeah. no way that, that was going to have any implication. Well, I, I can just... his implication, though, on if the Bruins score on the power play, he's not going to get an assist because of that. But at the same time, like... Well, no, be... they, they took the penalty as time expired in OT. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, there was no time left. Yeah. But I'm just saying, though, if they were to win off a power play, I'd give credit to Hall for moving his feet. But again, at that point in time, you could take that penalty because it, time's expiring. So, so Karski was an absolute sieve in that Except shootout. that was brutal. The first off, DeBrus could have gone wherever he wanted. And the the reason he shot that high is because Tarkarski first off, he made he himself so small. <laughs> he folded in half. He was a folding table. I, first of all, on the first shootout goal by Coyle. Yeah. Why did he angle his stick into his own net? No, he def- it was a beautiful deflection, by the way. Look at the Pavelski deflection. Yeah, he he deflected the shot bar down. If he keeps that stick straight up, it stopped. He looked uncomfortable. And for a guy that hasn't played a lot. He, he did come in in relief of Linus Olmark, who got and he hurt. He played pretty well. Before Which the shootout, is, but right off the bat in the shootout, he, yeah, you knew the Bruins are winning that game. First off, who's what's the Bruins goalie's name? It's weird. I forgot the Bruins uh, goalie. Got Swayman. Uh, Swayman. Like. Yeah, he looked great. The stop on Taylor. Uh, excuse me. The stop on um, in the shootout. I forgot the first guy to go for the Sabers, but just like Shesterkin, he didn't move. He made them shoot the puck, and when that happens, he just he had confidence. Yesterday was great. It would have just been really funny if those players involved in the trade impacted. We talked about it. We said, honestly, we said that either Hull is going to have a hat trick or the Sabres are going to win. It was close to the Sabres winning and pulling up an upset, but I, I just don't know how Twitter would have reacted if Paul joins the Bruins and then lose to the Sabres, especially their location in the standings and how every point's meaningful. Yeah. yeah that If he stopped Coyle, then I think the Bruins – are a little bit nervous, and there's a chance for for Buffalo to win that game, but he didn't even come close, and he completely just destroyed my heart. It was either NBC or uh, NHL Network that tweeted out and said, "What's the biggest, the best rivalry this season?" And I tweeted, "Sabers versus themselves." It is because they had they they could have won that game. I mean, they played hard. No, no, in general, the best rivalry of the year. I said it's the Sabers versus themselves because anytime the Sabers showed any light at the end of the tunnel. They ruined it for themselves. Like that penalty the other day where they had 10 guys on the rink. I mean, that's a, that's a joke. I, uh, that, that is crazy. I, to me, it, they are a harder team to beat now, though, than they were before. And part of me, the, the, the part of me that wants the Rangers to make the playoffs thinks that Hall getting traded to Boston, a team that they play another five times, motivates the Sabres just a little bit to steal one or two games, which is all they need. That's all they need to steal. Now, granted, the Rangers still have to be perfect, but that's all they need to steal to give the Rangers hope. And I'm, I'm just praying that that trade lights a fire under them where they say, let's, let's keep this guy who wanted to leave so bad for making the playoffs. Oh, yeah, for sure. That locker room, they want to beat Hall so bad. But I feel like the Sabres this year have really beat themselves a lot. No, I mean, granted, they've been – they're not a good team. I think they could have been a lot better than the record, but mistakes like having 10 guys out on the rink isn't going to help you win a hockey game. But 
Speaking of the Sabres, just the icing on the top of the cake, Jack Eichel's out for the year. I mean, you saw this coming. I didn't think he was going to play another game. It's just it's one of those years. He might have played his last game as a Sabre. He's probably praying that is the case. And the last thing I'll get to, a name that really wasn't talked about much, Sammy Vatanen picked off of waivers from the Devils to Dallas. Yesterday he had two shots, two hits, and two blocks. So he had a very strong showing for Dallas in his first game. Uh, we talk about it. He's a puck-moving defenseman. And I feel like that's just very underrated to what he does in the hockey game, in a hockey game, excuse me. And I think that he'll really help this Dallas team. He, he will. They need help. Uh, they're still in that playoff race, but Vatanen just kind of underperformed. You, you said he's a puck-moving defenseman. He underperformed. He was known for his offense. What do you mean, underperformed yesterday? No, 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 with the Devils. With the Devils. Like yeah. The reason he got placed on waivers and the Dallas Stars were able to take a flyer on him is because – he hasn't lived up to that offensive hype this season. Yeah. And he's bounced around. They traded him to Carolina. He came back. There's got to be a reason that teams aren't committing to him yeah. long term because from the outside perspective, it looks like he's a solid defenseman. You want him on your team. So we'll see if he finds a home in Dallas. Well, you also have to look at the Devils. He's probably playing top four defense. And now with Dallas, look at their defense. Their defense is very good. Dallas's defense has very good players on it. So I think he'll fit in fit in rather nicely there. Yeah, he should. I mean, Dallas is a team you want to go to as a defenseman. They're struggling this year, but they still only give up 2.46 goals per game. So, I mean, this was a team that led the league last year, I believe, in that category. So that, that's a very good home for a defender to have. And if they get Bishop back, they get Sagan back, they might get on a playoff push and he can sneak into the playoffs. I mean, they're seven points out and three games at hand. So, you know, anything's possible. Anything is possible. Well, thank everybody for listening to episode 27 of The Back Check. This is a lot of fun to talk about. We'll be back on Sunday night to record another one. Make sure you have liked and subscribed our show. You can leave a review, too, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your content. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and check back in with us on Sunday night. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.